join me as we look at God's word in this amazing personal letter of the Apostle Paul to the Philippian church because it's really God's love letter to us. And this morning it speaks of something that we could spend our whole lives reflecting on, and that is what is truly successful? What is contentment? Listen then as I say, read how Paul speaks of where that comes from in the fourth chapter, verses 10 through 14. I hope you've got your Bibles with you, but if not, there are a few Bibles. It's in you right there. But listen as I read this word of God for us. Paul writes, I rejoice. I rejoice. Not a casual statement. I rejoice. I'm excited. In the Lord, greatly, that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned for me, but had no opportunity to show it. Not that I am referring of being in need, for I have learned to be content with whatever I have. I know what it is to have little, and and I know what it is to have plenty. In any and all circumstances, I have learned the secret. I have learned the secret of being well-fed and of going hungry, of having plenty and of being in need. I can do all things through him, in him who strengthens me. In any case, it was kind of you to share in my distress. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May God take this word about contentment and giving ourselves away to one another in order to know that contentment. And may God empower us to be a reflection of his grace in the world as we attend to his word. Let's pray. O God, our Father, giver of all good gifts, how we do praise you and pray that your good news would come now and find us, not only in word, but in power, in your Holy Spirit, and with the full assurance that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts would be truly acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our rock, you are our redeemer. We pray these things in the strong name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Martin Luther. Martin Luther once said, Next to faith, this is the highest art, to be content with the calling in which God has placed us. And then he said, I have not learned it yet. I have not learned it yet. This is our highest calling, to be content in the place where God has called us to reside, and that is to reside in Christ. That's Paul's whole phrase. That's his whole identity. is talking about being in Christ and having a life that reflects that every day for the whole time that we have breath. And so the question this morning that that faces us is this. What is contentment? 
what is contentment? And how many people really are content? Hmm. Look around. Look inside. And if people really are content, if we are content, what is that source of contentment? Think about someone you know to be what you would call content. Think about the moments in which you are truly content. Not happy, but content. What is the source of that contentment? You see, to be content is to have truly succeeded in this world. Yet, look at how much discontentment there is among those who have <coughs> all the worldly marks of success. Think about it. Look around. Look inside yourself. All kinds of reasons for being content by worldly standards, and yet we are surrounded inside and out around us by a sea of discontent. Would you agree? Huh? Paul uses a word for secret in speaking of contentment. It's interesting. He says, I have learned the secret of contentment. And it is a word that describes an experience of growing into something that is independent of external things or circumstances. So to be content is to grow. It's not instant. It doesn't happen overnight. It's not something you just sort of get and stick in your hip pocket. But it is something that you grow into. And the question is, how? How do we grow into it? Where does it come from? And how does it become independent of what's going on out there? What we have or don't have? He says, I've learned the secret, regardless of what's going on out there or what I don't have or have, of being content. Now, many of you heard this passage this morning and you heard one of your favorite verses, right? Right? Philippians 4.13, right? Yeah. It says, I can do all things through him, literally in him, who strengthens me? So what are the all things? Paul has just described them in speaking of plenty and in want. To be able to do all things with God's strength is to deal with all external situations based on what is going on inside us. Now, if what's going on inside me is distraction and turmoil and chaos and bitterness and all sorts of things, I'm not going to see the world out there as something I can deal with. But if I'm in Christ, huh, there's a whole different approach. You see, being in Christ means literally to have dynamite at our our disposal. The word for strength in this case is dunamis. It means to be invigorated. The, the word dunamis is where we get our word dynamite. And it means that it explodes and it pushes away all of those things 
that would cause us to be discontent. He says, I am content in Christ because I have dynamite at my disposal. I am invigorated by that, and that pushes away all these other things. It's not that they aren't there. So the key to understanding all that Paul has been saying about the good news of Jesus Christ is that our success comes from being in Christ no matter what is going on, and that is our hope. That when bad things come, we're okay. When good things come, we're okay. Because our hope is not made by either of those things. And that takes a lifetime of learning what it means to be in Christ. And I'm pretty convinced that that doesn't happen. Now, I have, I have confession to make. I am something of a Facebook junkie. I fought it, I fought it, and then I fell in with a bad crowd. <laughs> Dan Ament said, well, you should just try this one time. <laughs> Dan, Dan, Dan. I can make all kinds of excuses and give rationale for why Facebook is an important professional tool. But the reality is that I am fascinated by what people think is important. I am so curious. And, and I am fascinated about what people, the statements of faith that people make on Facebook without ever calling it faith. But the things that they declare are absolutely bedrock important. And this is depressing because what people are often shouting about or lamenting about is stuff that will not make anyone whole. And it's not just Facebook. It's the evening news. 50 to 70% of people watching stuff are petrified by it and are reactive to it rather than saying, wait a minute, wait a minute. What is my real hope? Because the reality is that the things that people scream about, shout about, get angry about, turn themselves inside out and over about are, are things that will not now or forever truly make people whole. But they talk like it will. People talk like it will. If, oh, if, if it were just this way. If people would just do it this way. But you know what? I feel better now. I needed to vent my spleen there. Thank you. See, I'll be honest. The, the longer I live and encounter people and culture, the more I, I accept that most people really aren't meant to get what it means to be content. You know how I've come to that conclusion? <laughs> it's rocket science. It's because most people aren't content. Most people are not content. They're living lives of silent or not so silent desperation, as Henry Thoreau said. It's not that people aren't smart. In fact, Paul was really, really smart. Much smarter than I. And it was, it was only as he realized his intelligence and all of his pedigrees were the very thing that kept him for the longest time from being able to say, I can do all things through or in Christ who strengthens me. 
Because it was only as he started to realize, oh, my anger, my anxiety, my fear, my trouble, my, my whatever that makes me uncomfortable and discontent is because I'm not in Jesus Christ. I'm trying to kill him. I'm trying to wipe out any remembrance that Jesus Christ was ever here. When in fact, he's the very one who will give me the peace, the contentment that I'm missing. What Paul is talking about is not something that comes through intelligence, not IQ. It's what the psalmist means when he says, the law of the Lord is perfect, making wise the simple. The law of who? The Lord. And what is the law of the Lord but God's love for us? A love that will not let us go. And that only comes from a long obedience in the same direction of listening and learning and letting God take us apart so that we can be put back together again by God's grace. Only by God's grace. And yet, the discontent comes from, even inside the church, people going, oh, yeah, 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 I know the words. And they run off. We run off. I run off. Not to God's grace, but to my own efforts. And more to the point, my own worries and my own behaviors that are not obedience to the law of the Lord that make wise the simple, but obedience to my own compulsions. You see, the message our lives proclaim, if we are truly in Christ, is that it is not our circumstance that gives us hope, and it is not our circumstance that takes our hope away. But we will only know that and be able to make it known when we are in a deep pattern of discovering contentment daily in knowing Jesus Christ as the God of all that is. Karen and the praise team, you guys picked the perfect offertory. God is God alone. Only as God is God of everything and alone in our lives will we truly know what success is. Alec Motyer has said, contentment is the mark of a mature believer and objective to be cultivated by all believers who want to grow in Christ. So to continue to be content is to want to grow as the things of this world grow strangely dim. You get a bad diagnosis from the doctor. Your body doesn't work the way it used to. Your mind isn't as clear as it used to be. Your finances are eroded. You're you're hearing all the time, you don't have enough of this and you ha don't have that. You turn on the news. And if we're 50 to 70% of the people, we're afraid. But to grow into Christ is to have all of that become strangely, strangely dim. Learning the secret, Paul describes, meaning being honest with ourselves. Sometimes honest to ourselves to a point we don't want to be. And that is why many never learn the secret of what it really means to be content in Jesus Christ. Because we have to be really honest with ourselves about what is making us discontent. It's not our, it's not our health or lack thereof. 
It's not our in-laws or outlaws. It's not the political situation in the world. It's that we aren't spending time truly getting to know the person and work of Jesus Christ and discovering the cosmic and yet very practical reality of what it means to belong to him. Discontent can come for us in the form of restlessness. We become restless people. You know why? You know why we're restless? It's ironic. It's not because we don't have enough. It's because we have too much. And we have too much of the wrong thing. Pastor Timothy Keller, pastor of Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Manhattan, points out, we've got all we could ever use and more. It's in our account. Jesus Christ has placed it there when he died for us and rose again. It's at our utter disposal, but we're out looking for other things instead. I read this week of a magazine editor vacationing in the British Virgin Islands with his family. Sounds like a tough job, but somebody's got to do it, right? Okay. And all the while, he's longing for the simple life. Gazing across the water, a little island caught his attention. He learned that the population was known for enjoying a carefree lifestyle. So he decided he wanted to go, and he confessed, I have no real wants. If anything, my life is too full. That's that's precisely the problem. Most Americans enjoy a higher standard of living than 99.4% of the 80 billion human beings who have ever lived, not just who are alive. Yet we're not content. We're not content. Our lives are characterized by too much of a good thing, excess at every turn. We're surrounded by so much food that obesity has become a national crisis. We are tempted by so much entertainment and information and stuff to buy that we sleep three hours less a day than our grandparents did. At times, it leaves us staring at a four-mile-long horizon like this editor, wondering what it would be like to chuck it all. It's, it's the human nature to look for greener pastures. Did you know 50% of Americans want to live in a different state? And it's not a physical state that they're longing for. It's a state of mind. To wish for better circumstances, more affluence, an easier life. We think if only I had a better job, and a nicer house, a newer car, I would be happy. Seems logical, right? Right? According to this logic, people in the United States, therefore, should be among the happiest people on earth. We enjoy greater wealth per capita than most countries, and yet a 2012 Gallup poll says that the United States is 33rd in a world happiness scale. <laughs> you know who's higher than us in happiness? Panama, Iraq, Guatemala, several nations in Latin America. They're happier than we are. They're more content than we are. The translation is money doesn't equal greater happiness. And it isn't just money. It's, it's learning what really matters. That's why people 
are content because they know what really matters. But discontent is a result of not knowing what really matters. And the Apostle Paul is saying, I am so rejoicing that we have this relationship, that you've revived your concern for me. Not that you weren't, you didn't care, but you have an opportunity now to do something for me for the sake of the gospel. There's where contentment comes from. When our lives are poured out for the sake of the world knowing Jesus Christ, then and only then will we be content. Anything less will not be enough. Contentment is a matter of trust. Paul had learned that to be content came from trusting that God will be faithful in what matters over and over again. Great is thy faithfulness. Morning by morning, new mercies I see. Many of you know the story that, that speaks of this contentment being a matter of trust. And, and the fact of the matter is, we don't get that. Uh, I've told some of you the story, but it, it bears repeating. Uh, there was a, a boat docked in a tiny Mexican village, and a, an American tourist complimented the Mexican fisherman on the quality of his catch. He said, how long did it take you to catch those? And he asked, he said, oh, not so long. Then why didn't you stay out longer and catch more, said the American. The Mexican explained that his small catch was quite enough to meet his needs and the needs of his family. So what do you do with the rest of your time, said the American. He said, well, I, I sleep late, I fish a little, I play with my children, I take a siesta. In the evening, I go to the village, I see my friends, we hang out together, play the guitar, sing some songs, I have a full life. The American interrupted, he says, I have an MBA from Harvard, I can help you. I'm from the government. I'm here to help. <laughs> I can help you. You should start fishing longer every day. You can then sell the extra fish you catch. With the extra revenue, you can get a bigger boat. And after that, said the Mexican, with the extra money the bigger boat will bring, you can buy a second boat and a third boat until you have an entire fleet. And instead of selling your fish to the middleman, you can then negotiate directly with the processing plants. And pretty soon you would open your own plant. And you would leave the little village and move to Mexico City and Los Angeles or even New York. And from there you could direct your whole enterprise. How long would that take, said the Mexican? Uh, 20, perhaps 25 years. And after that? After that? Afterward? Well, my friend left the American. That's when it gets really interesting. When your business gets really big, then you start selling stocks and making millions. Millions? Really? And after that, said the Mexican, after that you'll be able to retire. And you'll be able to live in a beautiful place near the coast. <laughs> sleep late. Play with your children. Catch a few fish. Take siestas with your wife and spend your evenings having a couple of drinks and enjoying the evening with your friends. Amen. Yeah. I'm not really done. The, is, it, is that ironic to you? Do you did you miss the, the reality that the man being encountered by the American was a fisherman? 
The fisherman is what a Christian is to be. He knows what really matters. And what really matters are those relationships. Because it's out of those relationships that we call people into what really matters. And it's not just a simple lifestyle. It's a simple lifestyle of simply belonging in and to Jesus Christ for the sake of eternity, for the sake of other people knowing about Jesus Christ. Because here's the irony. That American with the Harvard MBA was envious of what the fisherman had and ironically didn't realize it was already there. Paul says that his success, his contentment, is not from becoming a monk and giving up the things of the world, but in finding his hope and peace in Jesus Christ. And the fact of the matter is there is very little of this in the church, let alone in the world today. Too many people and churches have the Harvard MBA complex. Too many people are turning on the news and being afraid of what's going on out there rather than not turning on the news and spending time with Jesus so that what's going on in here can be okay. Too many Christians are deeply sad and very discontent people. I was ordained 30 years ago this past week, and I have experienced 30 years of people coming into my office telling me how utterly discontent and sad they are, and it is to a person because they are not intimately and deeply acquainted daily with the person and work of Jesus Christ. Many people outside the visible church are living lives, as I said, of quiet and not-so-quiet desperation, placing their hopes on external measurements of success, money, achievement, power. But do you know what this passage says? It says that the only thing that will really give us contentment now and forever, is to know Jesus Christ. Marshall Shelley is an acquaintance of mine. He edited Leadership Magazine for a number of years, and he had this brought home in a way that Paul is describing. Now, let me finish with this. He says, my wife's father is a Kansas farmer. He spent a lifetime raising wheat, corn, milo, beef, and along the way, some sheep and chickens, One morning, I followed him around the farm, and we talked about the differences between city living and a rural lifestyle. He said, most city folks I know expect each year to be better than the last. They think it's normal to get an annual raise, to earn more this year than you did last year. He said, as a farmer, I have good years and I have bad years. It all depends on the rain, the right times, dry days for harvest, and no damaging storms. Some years have more, some years have less. said it was one of those indelible moments of stunning clarity that I saw the law of the harvest, some years being fat, some years being lean, applies to so much more than agriculture. Growing in spiritual maturity requires gratefully accepting the seasons of more and the seasons of less that God weaves into the very specific areas of our lives, our friendships, our marriages, our careers, our finances, our ministry, our spiritual growth. Sometimes it'll be great and sometimes it'll be really hard. So let me be very personal for a moment because this is my story. 
if all your life, if all of your life you have wanted everything to be just right, and it has never been quite the way you have wanted, and you have always known some degree of discontent and restlessness, I want you to look around and wave to someone right now. <laughs> because you will not be alone. All things, all the things we have all wanted to be just right never will be. Someone will die. Someone will disappoint us. We will disappoint someone. We will be overlooked. A million things won't be fair. And for all our efforts, nothing will change this. Paul knew this, and so he wrote, I have learned the secret. I can do all things through him, in him, in him, through him who gives me dynamite, who strengthens me, who invigorates me. So let me ask you this. Do you want to be able to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me and mean it? and know it in every facet of living? Do you want to be able to live this so that people can see it, so that you can see it? I think we all do, don't we? We want to be content. So there are really only two things we need to do, and we only have to do them every single day. The first thing is this. Stop listening to the world. Don't turn on the news. <laughs> and the second one, the second one is far more important. Start listening to Jesus. I mean really listening to Jesus. Because it's going to mean having to die die to things that you think you can't live without. And the fact of the matter is, you can't live in this world without a lot of the things that we've come to depend on. So it's time to die. It's time to give up those things, those ideas, those mindsets, and simply say, okay, Jesus, take me. Take me where you want me to go. He is the one who says, interestingly, to us, when we say to him, okay, here it is. Here's my life, just as I am and really mean it. It is he who says to us, you can do all things through me who strengthens you. May we be learning this every single day. And may we learn what it means to be successful in Christ so that the world sees us content to let the world go by, to know no gain or loss, but to simply say, my sinful self, my only shame or lack, my glory, all the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that we have everything we need and more. Thank you that we live in that little beautiful village called the church.
where we are surrounded by friends, where we have more than enough to eat, where we have songs to sing, and most importantly, the song of your great salvation. May that pour out through us. May it pour into us. May we give ourselves away for the sake of your calling. May we learn to be content in that calling and to make knowing you every day our deepest desire so that someone else may see that and come to know you. In your precious name we pray, amen. Because we've been sitting. And let's join together, let's go back to the basics of what was said by the church in the very beginning and proclaim what our hope really is as we say the Apostles' Creed. Let's say it together. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Ghost, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead. I believe in the Holy Ghost, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. May this closing hymn now be our confession of faith, and may that closing line, content to let the world go by, be our autobiography. Shut